Now it's on. Could have swore I turned that thing off and then back on. Chapter 2. <clears throat> Chapter 2, verses 1 through 13 is what we're going to look at this morning. You know, Baptists don't do a very good job of talking about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we don't. I think we're sometimes afraid of it, but we don't need to be. Um, we do believe he came. We do believe he's part of our, our faith. And uh, I don't know about you, but I believe I need his help. <laughs> I need his help every day. Um, he was promised to come as a helper by Jesus. Uh, Jeremy read the, verse, the passages in, in John 16. He's promised to come to be our helper. And we need to make ourselves available to be helped. Sometimes it's hard to help people that don't want to be helped. But I want to remind you that the Holy Spirit is still active now, still a part of our souls, still a part of our lives. He is God. He is God's in spirit form in our lives. And so Acts is a, a record of the first church. And we're seeing today the, the fact that God is empowering them to proclaim the message of the gospel. Um, the passage right here tells us when God the Spirit came. And it's kind of interesting. He came down into his church. He didn't come down to exist in air. He came down to exist in us. And we're going to see that. Let me read this passage and we'll begin to talk about it. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya, Libya near Cyrene, Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But some sneered and said, they're drunk on new wine. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this passage. What a glorious event. And what a glorious promise fulfilled and how it makes our life in you so much brighter, so much better, so much more fruitful and abundant. Show us, Father, what we can each take in our own hearts today and, and glean from this passage truth that we can live by. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So 50 days after Passover after the resurrection 50 days after the resurrection God the Holy Spirit comes to the first church in Jerusalem and empowers them empowers them to testify just like Jesus said it would happen just like the passage of scripture we're memorizing so Jesus promised and God sent his spirit 
Jesus promised and God sent his spirit to enable believers to be witnesses of the salvation in Jesus Christ. So we're going to answer this question this morning. How did God send his spirit and empower messengers to tell the wonderful plan of redemption? Well, God moved in two ways here on Pentecost. He moved in two ways. His power came in sound and sight, and then he enabled the believers to speak. He gave them speech. First of all, we're going to look at the fact that the Spirit resounds and enlightens the church. Verses 1 through 4, I'm going to read those again for you. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. All right, so let me, let me explain Pentecost. Pentecost is a Jewish holiday, a Jewish festival. It's 50 days, seven weeks after Passover. It's, it was intended and set in stone and set in place by God in uh, the Old Testament law. And it was meant to celebrate the first harvest of barley. See, they would plant a winter crop in their, in their fields, and this is about the time that you would collect that crop. You would harvest it. So this was to celebrate that harvest. It was kind of like a, a, a main event. Later in time, after several hundred years probably, the Jews began to use it also as a time to celebrate when God gave them the law on Mount Sinai that we read about in Exodus. They figured out that, okay, well, we left Egypt at Passover. It was about 40 days, 50 days before we got the law from God. So it's close. But they've used it as a chance to celebrate that the, the fact that God came down on the mountain, gave Moses the law that they now live by. So it's kind of a celebration of those kind of things. And so Jews will come to Jerusalem for that festival, for that event. Some will come just for that. Some will come for Passover and stay the 50 days till Pentecost. There's a lot of people in Jerusalem still uh, at this event. And what's interesting is God timed his spirit coming at that moment. It wasn't coincidence, okay? God doesn't do coincidence. God has a plan. And so he sent his spirit at that time. So all the church was gathered in the house, in the upper room house, the house where they probably had the last supper with Jesus, the house where they were the previous week when they voted to put Matthias in place of Judas, who had left them and deserted them. So they're in that house. They're gathered. The church is there. They're united in prayer and praise. We've seen that in chapter 1. These 120 people are united. They are the first church. I think they're the first Baptist church of Jerusalem, but that's just my preference. They're all gathered there. And then a sound. Notice it's a sound like a wind, but it's not a wind. The air's not moving. It's a sound. I started to bring a recording up here and put it in the microphone of a, of a violent wind. I was in a tornado one time in North Dakota in the basement, and it sounds like a train like they say it does, but that's what they heard. They heard a sound like a violent rushing wind. There was no air moving, just the sound, just the sound. The sound filled the whole house, it says. You could not hear it. Everybody in the house heard it. Everybody that was there heard it. It drowned out everything else, all other sounds. And then a light phenomenon happened, okay? These, these tongues, they use the word tongues of flames, like comes out of the, of the, all of a sudden and rests on all of the individuals, rests on everybody individually. It kind of probably could be compared to the pillar of fire 
that led the children of Israel through the wilderness, to, through, to the Red Sea and then afterwards beyond. So it kind of could be compared to some of that. But it's fire or light without heat. It's not burning anything. It's just light. And it separated and it came to each of them. And these signs were used to confirm the arrival of the Holy Spirit. You know, last week we talked a little bit about, wonder what they were praying for for 10 days. Well, they were probably asking God too, how are we going to know the Spirit's here? Well, they know. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. So at Pentecost, they celebrate the harvest. They celebrate the fire and thunder and noise on Mount Sinai. And, and when God gave them the law to Moses... It also represents the time when God's spirit came down and filled the tabernacle when they got that erected. And then when Solomon built the temple, it came down and filled. It represents all of that. It's God's history. Symbols from the past represented right there. And it's, it's used to talk about the Holy Spirit. The sounds and sights of, God his, of God's history is captured in this moment. The spirit of God came to live in souls. Not to just be in the air. He's not just a gas that orbits around us. He came to live in souls. I mean, we need to really understand that because so many times we, we think it's some uh, extra thing out here in the air that we're supposed to convince to come help us. No, he came to live in each soul. Each believer in that room, 120 people, we've talked about them last week, 120 people were individually filled with God's Spirit individually filled with God's Spirit. They were filled because they believed. They believed in Jesus Christ. They didn't believe in the Holy Spirit. They believed in Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. And they were filled. Now, what does filled mean? I mean, we use that word a lot. You know, we know what it means to fill a glass of water too much. But in this sense, let's think of it more as like you're completely satiated or saturated. They're completely full. They're empowered. They're enriched. They're aware they're also compelled by the Spirit. They're compelled and convicted, even. That's what the Spirit comes to do. And so that's what it means by, by filling them. They now know and, and want to do things that were not known before and not done before. That's kind of what the difference is. And how, how did they know they were even filled? Well, they started speaking in different languages. That, that confirmed it. I mean, if I started rattling something off in, in Portuguese, you guys would be like, what's wrong with him? And I said, I never studied Portuguese. I never studied anything but French, and that was not very good. So they began to talk in languages that they had never known. Being filled, endowed with the Spirit of God, changed them. Changed them. And gave them a supernatural ability. They could speak fluently other known languages. Not Greek. Everybody pretty much knew Greek. Latin was pretty well known. Aramaic was pretty well known in that region. These were languages that were not local. They were remote languages. From, and we'll show you in a minute where, where those languages came from. But they were more remote. It wasn't just the general languages of the day. <clears throat> and we'll see why God does this. We'll see why God does this a little bit. But they were all filled, and they spoke voluntarily. They were in control of what they said, but they were motivated to speak. They now had a, a clear insight. They began to speak, to tell, to praise the wonderful salvation God had given. The Spirit gave them what to say. The Spirit gave them the boldness to say it loudly in the house about God's Son. And they were all speaking in all these languages. I'm sure it sounded pretty chaotic 
to anybody that was there that didn't speak in it, but there was nobody there not speaking. They were all talking in different languages. Now, I want you to notice something, that the, when God sends the Spirit, he uses three of our senses to make, a, make this a point of, of a, his arrival. Three of our, our five senses, hearing, seeing, and speaking. Some of you may argue with me about taste, but it comes out of your mouth. So. But it's, it's speaking. Hearing, seeing, and speaking. What do these have in common? Communication. They all have in common communication. You can't hear or communicate. You, you see things, you get communication. God sent his spirit to communicate to humanity. He sent his spirit to communicate to humanity. Not just to us, but so that we would be able to communicate with those who don't know Jesus. These three are necessary, and they're often used in, in the growth and spreading of the church. And we'll see it as we go through Acts. God intends for his church to resound the truth of Jesus Christ. God intends for us to show the world Jesus Christ, and God intends for us to broadcast it as best we can, with any means possible. Pentecost proves it. God's grace gave the gift of the Spirit-filled life that we all as believers in Christ can have and have. If you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and start turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But you know, most anything that wants our attention or to be noticed uses these three sensory inputs. 1 Corinthians, we'll be in 1 Corinthians 2 in a minute. These three sensory, if you've ever been to Las Vegas, wow, the strip is just, all it is is lights and sounds and people talking. Trying to get you to come into their casino or whatever. Times Square is the same way. I've been there, been there a couple times. Been to Vegas too many times. It's, it's all about that sensory input to, to your hearing, to your seeing, to your uh, the speech. It's all, it all comes at you. But sounds, lights, and words produce more responses than the other senses. But God uses them for his kingdom here. For example, English as a second language is used a lot of places around the world to introduce people to the gospel. Um, there's that, that's going on in, uh, in Japan right now. Emily Petty is there, and that's one of the things that she's helping do is teach English to Japanese students. And then what I found out is that a lot of the people that want to learn a different language, they go to the country to learn it, they want to learn English. So you spend more time talking to them in English so they can practice their English. So... English and hearing that and, and speaking, those are the way God wants to communicate his gospel. If you've turned over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, see these events that just happened here in Acts, they punctuate the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And Paul gives us a kind of a clear picture here in 1 Corinthians 2 of what the Spirit's going to do in our life. Now you can keep your finger there. After I read this, you keep your finger there because we're going to go back there in a little bit. He says in 1 Corinthians 2, starting with verse 6, he says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, though it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written in the Old Testament, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of a man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. 
These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Now understand that. What he's saying is you have the Holy Spirit in you as a believer in Jesus Christ. You have a Spirit that searches the depths of God. Now he may not make everything aware to you, but he does know everything God knows. The church cannot function, and I believe this with all my heart, any church cannot function without the Holy Spirit, cannot function, perform, or execute her mission without the Holy Spirit helping it. I, I believe that, and we have, to, we have to realize that ourselves, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But let me ask you some questions to, to ponder about the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Who received the Spirit of God here? Every believer in the house that day. Every believer, all 120 of them. Nobody got shortchanged, okay? They were, all, they were already believers, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Second question, why did they receive him? Why did they get him? Their faith in Jesus Christ. God had given them faith in Jesus Christ after the resurrection. They all had that faith. They believed that forgiveness by God came only by trusting in Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection. That's how come they could receive him. Do you believe that? Do you trust Jesus for your forgiveness? We'll dwell more on that in a minute. The third question, what does having the Spirit mean for us? What does having the Holy Spirit mean for us? Well, power. And not the kind of power you may think, but as Jesus said, it was the power to testify, to be witnesses, to speak the truth, the gospel. We have that power. See, even now, as a believer, you, you can understand the Bible. You may not understand all of it, but you understand some of it in part. That, that's a testimony that you have the Holy Spirit on you. You can imitate the attitudes of Jesus Christ. You can work toward being like Jesus Christ. You can boldly confront sin. You can boldly love people. Some that aren't lovable, you can love them. That's some of the things we already do as believers in Jesus Christ. How do you know you have the Holy Spirit? It's not really that hard. If you're born again... You have the Holy Spirit. If you're born again, truly born again, you have the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 gives us that, that help, that we're all baptized at conversion into that one Holy Spirit. We all receive it there. Every believer now gets it at conversion. It's not as dramatic <laughs> as it was here in Acts, but they didn't have the Spirit yet, and they needed to know that they were getting it, and they did. All of us who have professed trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sin and believe in him for eternal life have the Holy Spirit. A believer cannot be a believer without the Holy Spirit. It doesn't, it doesn't happen. You can say you're a believer, you can think you're a believer, but if you do not have Christ as your Savior, you don't trust Him for the forgiveness of your sins, and you don't have the Holy Spirit because of you don't believe that, you're not a Christian. It's essential, okay? It's a, it's a package deal. You can't pick what you want to be as a Christian. It's the whole thing. It's essential, it's vital, it's a must. The fifth question, what have you been doing with this wonderful gift? That's the harder question, right? What have you been doing with it? What have you been using it for? Well, as a believer, like I said earlier, you can understand the Bible. So read it. Yes, I know you won't understand all of it. I've had that discussion with a lot of you. We won't, we won't under, I don't understand parts of it. I still haven't figured out Ezekiel's visions. I, I don't know. And a lot of scholars I read don't either. But you can read your Bible and you can grasp it. 
in part. You can pray and know God hears you. You can recognize solid teaching. You can recognize that someone's teaching from God's word. You want to live differently. You want to treat people better. That's how you know the Spirit's living in you. You want to do those things. You may not always do them right and perfect, but you want to. You want to seek to follow Christ's directions for your life. You want to know him more, grow more like him. You give of your time and resources. You give them to God for his use. You become less selfish. This is, a, this is really big. I mean, you know, especially in teenagers, when you're watching them and they become a Christian, it's really, that's one of the best ways to tell. They become less selfish, less about me, and more about others. But none of these that I just mentioned comes natural, which is why we need the Holy Spirit. We can't do this on our own. You can, you can be good for a while, but you're only good in some ways, not in every way. They are new disciplines that we exercise by the Holy Spirit's power. Our sinful nature will not let us, not let us be these things completely without the help of the Holy Spirit. And the last question, number six, can you, how can you begin to use the Holy Spirit more? How can you use him more? Well, I could tell you this. Pray for a sensitive soul that perceives his nudgings, that listens for him, that looks for him. See the spiritual side of life. See, every aspect of our lives, whether you're lost or, or believers, has a spiritual aspect to it. Everything does. And so look for the spiritual side of things. Like, how is this going to affect someone's faith? How is it going to affect someone's life? And how is it going to affect their eternity? Give time to learn the Bible so you can... You can make sure that the Spirit's guiding is what you're really hearing, not your own ideas. Because so many times we got some really good ideas. And they, they sound really good, but sometimes they're, they're just not in line with what God would have. So give time to learning your Bible. Share your thoughts and birds with other believers to test what the Spirit is saying. To be able to fight those spiritual battles. I, talk, I read last week about the, the armor of God that we put on. The Spirit helps us do that to fight the spiritual battles together. There's a quote by Abraham Kuyper. I want to read you. It's not a long one, but it doesn't matter who it's from, really. But he, he reveals a very clear thing that we need to understand. There's a war going on out there that nobody can see. Nobody witnesses it. You see the results of it. You see the symptoms of it. And if we, if we got God to pull back the curtain to show us the, the spiritual warfare that's going on, the evil that's circling around the world trying to destroy. He says, if once the curtain were pulled back and the spiritual world behind it came to view, it would expose to our spiritual vision a struggle so intense, so convulsive, sweeping everything within its range that the fiercest battle fought on earth would seem, by comparison, a mere game. Not here, but up there. That is where the real conflict is engaged. Our earthly struggle drones in its backlash. We can't fight those battles without the Holy Spirit because he sees them. He knows they're there, which is why we need to make sure we're, we're staying attuned to him. We need to continue to believe and tell yourself this every day. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord of my life. You can say it to yourself. Just because you've done it once doesn't mean it takes forever. It takes time. And it's a, it's a good prayer. Jesus, you are Lord of my life. Please nurture my faith. By your spirit, strengthen my faith. And the spirit will help you do these things.
because there's grace. <laughs> Don't ever forget grace is involved in this, okay, folks? Grace. We, we will not live perfectly for Christ. We will not take advantage of the Holy Spirit perfectly every time. But there is grace to help us. So that's, that's what, how the Spirit came on the church. The Spirit came with sound and light and words being spoken. And now I want, to watch, want you to watch what he does with that afterwards, how he uses this to build his church. The believers speak with a supernatural clarity to the peoples that are there. Verses 5 through 13. Let me read that for you. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When the sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, look, aren't all these people who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia. You guys think I'm speaking in some foreign language now, don't you? Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded. That's the second time that word showed up. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But some sneered and said, they're drunk on new wine. Nope, they're not. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Devout Jews. I mentioned earlier they were there for the festival. So these, these are Jews that have come for the festival. And they're devout. If they're, if they're traveling to Jerusalem for this festival, whether it was Passover or, or Pentecost, they're pretty devout. That, that takes some commitment. And so they're, they're there. And they're from all over. And, and I'm not going to read the list again, but I'm going to show you the list in a minute. There are all kinds of people groups represented here. And they heard a sound, this, this crowd did. They did not hear the sound of the wind. They heard the sound of the church speaking about God, which they recognized. Whatever the, the people were saying in, in their language, they, they recognized the story. They recognized the truth of it. They heard the voices of the church talking about God as the Spirit gave them the words. Now, at some point here, it appears that the church moved from the house, maybe because they went to the temple to praise the Lord. They went to the temple, the temple courts, to give God the praise. And so they traveled through the, the city. It's not very far from where they believe the house was to where the temple was. But they got outside. They got outside the four walls of that house and spoke the word of God. And people heard it. People heard it, and they were drawn to the sound, and the crowd heard their own language. They probably never heard their own language in Jerusalem. They probably mostly heard Aramaic because they were there for religious purposes, and Aramaic is, the, is, a, is a modern Hebrew version of their language. They probably heard some Greek and some Latin too, but they had not heard probably their language except among their own clan in Jerusalem. Their native language. And that, that just speaks to a person. When someone speaks to you in your heart language, I mean, if you've been to Europe or you've been in a foreign country and you're walking around and you're hearing everybody talk something you don't understand, and all of a sudden you hear somebody say something in English, you're like, where are they? Where are they? You want to go find them, especially if you've been there a while. But the crowd heard that. You, Luke, Luke uses the word astounded twice here. It's the same Greek word both times, and it's a specific word. It literally means unable to distinguish what is going on. They don't know what's going on. They're in a state where things seem to make little to no sense. 
I don't know about you, but in my Christian life, I've had a lot of things that happen that make little to no sense. But they've always been good. They've always turned out for good. God's used them for his glory. And that's what's happened to these people here. They're hearing their, the, these people that they don't even know. They even make fun of it. They, they even go like, wait a minute, these people are from Galilee. But it carries an idea, this word, astounded, carries an idea that it's being, it's unfathomable in their mind. They, they couldn't understand or figure out how in the world do all these people, they, how do they know my language? <laughs> they're confused. These people are speaking our language, and, and it's not even in their region of the, of the country because the Holy Spirit has got a hold of the church, and he's using them. Let's bring up the map, Marsha. I want to show you where these people are from. It's a list of nations. I don't know, you may not be able to read them, but it starts with Parthians, which is over here on this, this very east thing just south of the Caspian Sea. But it goes through all of those. It goes out here to Egypt, Libya, Cyrenaica, which is Cyrene. And it goes all the way through Mesopotamia, Cappadocia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Rome. It's the known world at that time. At least the, the known Roman world at that time. That's, that's, where, that's who, the languages they're speaking from those regions. That's what God has empowered them to do by the Holy Spirit is to speak those languages. They're obscure. They're ro remote languages. Those languages aren't Roman-wide. They're not Greek Empire-wide. They're not anybody. It's just that area. Most of these countries, uh, Iraq, Iran... Is, is now where it is. Turkey covers some of it. Uh, obviously, Italy, um, Greece. There's all nations represented there. And they're hearing, they're hearing the message of God in their own language. Out of the blue. Out of the blue. The far reaches of God's word. And, and, and these Jews were familiar with Yahweh and Messiah. They were familiar with that story. They were familiar with the prophecies. These were not, never heard anything about the Jewish God. They were God worshipers. And I could spend a lot of time talking about these nations and how they got to where they are. You want to go back, you can go back to the Old Testament. Some of these people are where they are because of the exile, because the children of Israel didn't obey God. The Assyrian exile the Babylonian exile, brings those Jews out there. And yes, some came back to Palestine, but not everybody. And those families stayed there and they, they grew there. But the important thing for us to see is that God is beginning to push the gospel out from the center, out from Jerusalem. Remember the verse, 1-8? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, which is just around Jerusalem, and to the ends of the earth. And right now, that's kind of where these people are from. And that's what they're hearing. And what did these people say when they heard it? They said, we hear the magnificent acts of our God declared by Galileans. Now, why did they make that point? Well, Galileans were considered uneducated. It was a blue-collar region just north of, of uh, Jerusalem by the Sea of Galilee, and it had always had a reputation of just uneducated, blue-collar, not very smart and wise people, which is funny. I mean, Jesus picked most of his disciples from that area. Tell you something about how God uses people that don't know anything. <laughs> I have an Alabama public ed education, so I don't know anything either. So 
God uses those who don't know to, to astound. So he took these 120 people and he supernaturally empowered them to speak in different languages, to evangelize, to begin to mobilize. These people were going to go back home at some point. And God's already planting the seed that's there. He's, he's planting the seed by the message that they're saying. The three senses that I mentioned earlier are being used again. And these people were going to probably take it back with them. And, and when, when you read Paul going through the, the area of Turkey and, and Greece and all, he comes upon synagogues where Jews worship. And they've already heard about this Jesus thing because they were, some of them were here when it started. And they were still astounded after all of that. What does it mean? That's the right question to ask. What does this mean? Now, Peter's going to tell them in the next couple of weeks when we get to his sermon, um, two weeks from today probably, but Peter's going to tell them that God's serious about getting his message out. You know what? Peter's telling us God's serious about getting his message out. He wants it to go to everybody. Now, the last verse, you get some cynicism, some cynics in the crowd. You're going to have that. That's been around since the very beginning. That's how Satan tricked Eve, if he tricked her. Did God really say? Cynicism. It's always there. They're trying to control or disparage the event that happened. But let me tell you, God supernaturally gave 120 people the ability to speak in languages that they had never studied and maybe even never heard because they were from Galilee. They may not got out very often beyond that. They'd never, maybe never heard those languages. And now they're speaking them. See, God always overcomes opposition to his word. He destroys the barriers to getting his word out. For example, China. There's a church there, probably bigger than churches in America. Underground. Churches in Russia, in the Soviet Union, and when it dissolved, the, the churches had some freedom, and you begin to see some of them, but even now they're being put under oppression again. Islam all over the world is trying to stamp out Christianity. Kuwait is on the top 50 of dangerous, church, or dangerous countries for Christians to be because Kuwait's got a law on their books that no one can convert from Islam to Christianity or any other religion. They're trying to snuff out. Christianity, but they can't. The church keeps going. I want you to see what I mean from Scripture. Pharaoh would not submit to God, so God plagued him. Moses runs up against the Red Sea. God parts it. David faces a giant. God kills him. Daniel prays, and God shuts lions' mouths, hungry lions' mouths. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego won't bow to an idol, and God cools the furnace off for them. God is always serious about his truth getting out, his truth going forward, and he performs magnificent acts for that to happen. And the same is true for us. Here is what the Spirit does for us. Back to 1 Corinthians 2. I want you to hear the rest of this, picking up with verse 12. Paul tells us what we now have in our possession as believers in the Holy Spirit. He says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. 
The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. See, that's why he lives in us. He doesn't live out here. He lives in us. He gives us, the Holy Spirit gives us the mind of Christ. So we need to use it. We need to not sit back and go, I don't know enough or I don't have enough we, we can use what we have, and God will give you even more. I want you to understand how the Spirit works. We have an understanding, a discernment about life that the world doesn't have. We know that there's a spiritual essence to the world. There's a spiritual battle going on out there. The world just ignores it. They don't think it's any problem, but they can't explain why they're having so much trouble. Now, we don't see this supernatural language anymore. Really, we don't see a group of people that suddenly can speak languages they never studied. That just that doesn't really happen. But it's not necessary. <laughs> we have this. We have the 66 books of the Bible, and we can translate it because we're smart like that. We figured out ways to translate it, even in places where they don't even have a written language. Missionaries have gone in. One is in the Pacific Islands. One, missionaries have gone into those tribes. They have learned how to speak their language. Then they've turned their language into a written language, taught the people how to read that language, and then they translate it into a Bible. I mean, we can do that. So, and, oh, that by the way, that needs supernatural help too. That is not easy. It takes years to get that done. But the reward and the fruit of it is amazing. When people can read or hear the gospel in their heart language, the language that they grew up speaking. We have people doing that, sign language, any of that kind of stuff. It, it needs help. And, but there are some stories out there I've heard and, and met some people who say somebody was talking to this person in one language about Jesus Christ. I was standing over here, and I heard them in my language. I didn't even understand that language. So God still does that to some degree. The person speaking doesn't know that, but God used it. So it happens more on an individual basis. But the Spirit now brings the written word to life in our hearts and our minds. We know, here's some examples, we know things because the Holy Spirit lives in us. Deny yourself. Where in the world does anybody say deny yourself? Only the Bible says that. Store up treasures in heaven. No, get you a 401k or IRA. Store your treasures up here. That's what the world says. Give and it will be given to you. I don't hear anybody out there in the world saying that. They, they encourage generosity, but only to a measure. They don't understand the spiritual aspect of that. How about this? Pray for your enemies. <laughs> pray for your who? I pray for my family, my friends, but my enemies? Yeah. But if I got Jesus even said, love your enemies. We know things. We see things. Turn the other cheek. Who in the world come up with that idea? Jesus, because we're, we've got a home beyond this. We've got something to live for here that's different than what the world sees and what the world believes. The world laughs, the world ridicules, and even persecutes these truths. God says by his spirit you can live them out. Your Holy, the Holy Spirit helps us do that, to show the world. We don't have to react the way the world reacts, by the way, um, if, you, if you're on Twitter, oh my gosh, it's terrible sometimes. But we don't use the world's ideas of organization either. 
People might come in here with their, their secular ideas of how to organize a, a, organ, a place like a church. We don't use that. We use God's word. We don't use marketing to run our church or to grow it. We, we obviously publicize, but we follow God's plan. We trust his spirit. And his plan is this. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I will be with you always to the very end of the age. That's Jesus' plan for the church. He told the disciples that, who are in this 120, by the way, because that's how the church is, that's God's master plan. That's how we grow our church. That's how we strengthen our church. And it started with these 120s, and that's Jesus' plan. We need to go out there and tell the world Jesus saves. We don't necessarily have to worry about how they respond. All they need to know is that Jesus saves, that Jesus can save them, that Jesus, by his power and his death, burial, and resurrection, he, they can be forgiven. See, God's Holy Spirit is physically in us. We need to understand that. It's not, it's not something kind of like just dusted on us every once in a while. It's not pixie dust. He lives in us, and he wants to be let out. He wants to be used by us to pray, take the gospel to the world. You have God's Spirit. Now we need to live like we do. <laughs> we do. We need to live like we do. We need to go and tell the world the magnificent deeds of God, the magnificent acts of God Almighty for the salvation of our souls. Jesus gives eternal life. So the Spirit's arrival came with sound and sight and all kinds of visuals and, and a message. <laughs> and then God used a supernatural act to prepare the soil for the harvest that's coming we're going to talk about that in two weeks, the harvest that's coming from Peter's sermon. Now, I want, to, I want to take this last part here just to kind of help you understand what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We use that term a lot in Christianity. We all have it as believers. You've probably heard, oh, but I was, I was filled with the Spirit. We'll read that Peter, being filled with the Spirit, stood up and started preaching. There's more sometimes. And let me give you kind of why, why that happened. We, we're each given the Spirit fully. But we can also be filled even more. I know, you think of a balloon that's getting overinflated. It's going to pop, yeah. No, we don't have to worry about that. But we can, we can be more filled with the Spirit by our obedience, by our following Christ. And let me give you a kind of a word picture of that. When we follow Christ and we speak the gospel, God gives us the Spirit to carry it out. He will give us more of the Spirit. It's kind of like our soul is like a tire, an automobile tire or any a bicycle tire. You can use whatever size you want. Our spirit-filled life can be compared to that. And our soul is the tire. The air in that tire is the spirit. Any air ever get out of a tire? Yeah. Yeah. If we obey, we can keep that tire inflated. But if we don't obey, if we don't seek to make our lives available to God, the tire will begin to go flat. Now, you know what? A flat tire still has air in it, just not enough air to, to be usable, especially if it gets really flat. And that's what happens. If we get apathetic, if we get disinterested in, in God's ways, if we disobey, if we stop living the gospel, we get low on the spirit. We let a little air out. We can get so low that even maybe we'll be flat. So it, it, we just need to get the air back in it. And one of the ways we do that is we get the valve stem open by obeying. Be obedient, and that will open your valve stem to let God pump some more air into you. 
That's what we need to do. And that's, that's what it means to kind of be filled with the Spirit, is to let God pump you back up. Ask God to pump up your soul with more spirit. And that's what we're going to pray about right now. Obey Jesus to make the valve stem open. God, let God fill you. Pray that he will fill you more with the Spirit so that you can go out there and speak the acts of God to the world. So we're going to have a time of pastoral prayer, a time of quiet prayer for a few minutes, and then I'll close us out. So if you want to come to the front and pray, come on. But we're going to have a time of prayer, so let's pray.